welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts, and I believe that we all have a purpose, and with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. Welcome to People With Purpose. Uh, today, I'm joined by uh, Rajiv Kapoor, who is uh, an author, uh, and, and a fo- he focuses on leadership. And the book is called Chase Greatness. I'm reading this out. Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. And it was important to read it out because it's leadership in a very important context for all of us. So, uh, so Rajiv, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it so much. It's an honor to be here with you this morning. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, where are you uh, dialing in from today? So I'm in Southern California, so I'm about 35 miles south of Los Angeles in an area called Newport Beach. And uh, if I go that way about 20 feet, I'll walk right into the ocean. Okay. Right. Well, uh, try not to do that for the next 45 minutes or so. And, yeah, we're good. Uh, yeah, good, good, good. Uh, so um, it's funny with Zoom calls. You never know if you've got your board shorts on just there. So uh, so you're ready to leap in if the uh, if if the mood takes you. But, um, but anyway, let's leap into leadership. So what caused you to get so interested in this subject? So look, here's the thing. You know, during COVID, I got I – need, I needed something to do during COVID. Right. So I can only walk my dog 10 times a day right before he started running away from me. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was definitely a chance. COVID was a big thing. And so basically what happened was I had this idea for the book in my head for quite some time. And I started doing some research on this concept of enlightened leadership. And then I started doing some, some research on, you know, disruption that's coming to the workplace. I figured COVID's a big disruption. Right. And this concept of, and this issue and this concept of things like remote work, we're going to start, we're starting to come out, right? But then as you get into, if, as you as I dived into it, there was going to be more disruption coming. AI was just starting to become more and more mainstream in the workplace, robotics, automation. You start reading about what the future of the workplace was going to hold, right? And so to me, I felt like we were really at the perfect storm. And there were three big, big things happening kind of all at once, right? And and in essence, you know, what, what those three things were going to be was you have this massive movement to work, you know, to to you know working remotely, right? You have upcoming technological disruption in the workplace, right? And the third one, and probably the most important one, is that in the next, and I wrote this during COVID. So this was in 2020 when I wrote it, came out in 2021. So back then it was four years away. Now it's about two, two and a half years away. And that by 2025, end of 2025, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z, millennial. And for the first time, women will have a slight majority in the workforce. And I look at those three things combined, and you have a massive workplace disruption that's coming because leadership today is very old school, stodgy leadership, right? A lot of it's top down leadership. A lot of it is some of it's building on servant leadership, which is fantastic. But the bottom line here is that I don't think leadership is prepared for all of these three things to happen at once. And so that's why I coined this term enlightened leadership. And I basically just said, look, you know, we need to be able to build off of this concept of servant leadership if we're going to have a workplace 
that's really inclusive because that's how the demographic is shifting. You can hire people from all over the world now and they can work for you of all likes and from all different types of tribes and communities. And so when you think about it, that is going to be something that leaders have to grapple with. And so it's going to be, it's, we're going to have to take this foundation of servant leadership, build on top of it and say where servant leadership says, hey, David, how can I help you within the walls of the business to be successful? This next generation that's coming and the demographic change that's happening is saying, we need to be able to say, David, not only what can I do to help you be successful within the walls of the company, how can I help you be successful outside the walls of the company? And that's basically enlightened leadership. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with a lot of the, 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 the concepts and the principles that you've outlined. It really totally aligns with, with my views on that. One thing that I've been uh, observing in the last maybe six to 12 months is this whole thing about uh, with uh, remote work and everything else, people sort of like returning to the office and, and all of that. So that's something that we kind of looked at a totally remote type way of working. And then we came, maybe people are coming back. Are you seeing anything changing from 2021 to now that kind of reinstates some of those foundational things that we were used to before? Yeah. I mean, look, my company is about 95% remote. And we talk all the time about, do we start to bring some people back into an office? Do we have a little bit of a hybrid situation? You know, the challenge for us, for example, is before COVID hit, we were about 40% remote already. And then when COVID hit, we obviously went to about 95% remote. There's some people who didn't have the ability to work from home. Like, I don't want, I don't, I personally don't like working from home, too many distractions. So I got my side, went from a 10,000 square foot office, you know, nearby with, with like, you know, a bunch of people to my own little one person executive suite here. And so, and I come every day. And so that's what works for me. I, th I think what you're going to see over the course of the next couple of years is CEOs are going to try to bring more and more people back in the office. I think it's important from a camaraderie perspective, building relationships, onboarding new people. If you're a fast growth company, having some sort of hybrid solution is probably going to be the right solution. If you're a company that has got, you know, basically just growing a few percent a year, you're kind of an autopilot, you've got some innovation happening, but you know, you don't, you're fine with remote work, or whatever, then you can probably stay remote. Um, we are right now at 1105. We talk all the time, as I mentioned earlier, about do we need to have some sort of a hybrid blend? Part of the challenge is, is that when COVID hit, you know, it's expensive to live in California, right? So some of my employees, some of my good employees moved out of California, right? Some people have, you know, or they moved out of Los Angeles because it's a little too expensive. So even if I was going to start an office up again, a lot of my employees have kind of scattered already. And do I want to let them all go and then go hire again? No, I'm not going to do that. That, that. That's crazy talk. So, you know, it's, I think the genie's out of the bottle here. I don't think there's anything anybody can do to stop it. I think this concept of remote work is going to have to be here. It's going to be here for a long, long time. If anything, there might be pockets of remote work. And and I think for some of these larger organizations, like you're hearing about Disney and other people, they're going to a three or four day work week. It's fine. I have a, I have a good friend of mine, and and her company, she you know says three days in the office, but it's, she can be in three days in any office. So she she lives she lives you know the you know her and her husband they live a couple doors down down from us our neighbors, and if she flies to Seattle, she can go into that Seattle office for a day or two, and that counts as a three days. You know what I mean? So it's just, I, I think there's going to be, a, a, there'll be a, a, some sort of change. There'll be some sort of hybrid solution, I think, where everybody will make everybody happy, but it, it'll be a while. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's a big leadership challenge, isn't it? I mean, the whole thing about um, hybrid, um, I suppose what that's done is that that's accelerated this view on, on, on flexibility and on the fact that actually, in a way, in the same similar way to the way you described it, um, work and life, the way those two things integrate together, um, flexibility is what's needed to make that happen. So how yeah, does... I mean, flexibility, sorry, flexibility is going to be a feature. Yeah. It's going to be a benefit. When you think about when you think about organizations, you know, flexibility is going to be a benefit that companies are going to be able to offer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to work for me? Do they give you flexibility? Right. Right. That wasn't true a couple of years ago. No, absolutely. So there's a real, there's a real positive there and in a way for us as leaders as well, because, you know, leaders are, are, are used to perhaps working a bit more flexibly. I think it kind of levels up the whole thing so that potentially it gives the opportunity for collaboration in different ways at different times. As long as you've got that consent from the people in your team and the flexibility works both ways. Yep. 100%. So enlightened leadership then, uh, from that point of view, and being able to empower your your people, what, what challenges, specific challenges do you think that leaders face in making this transition? You know, it's new, right? And so I think there's this feeling that employees are not going to work or it's going to be difficult for communication. It's going to be difficult to build cultures and teams. And, you know, I think all of that is are legit or legitimate concerns that people should have. And I think if you have the right leadership in place, if you have the right processes in place, and you have the right ability to measure people's work and, and their KPIs, it shouldn't be all that difficult because the job still has to get done. The question is, do you care if the job gets done at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. as long as the job gets done? And that's kind of the world we're moving towards, right? You know, if you have employees that you don't think are working a full 40-hour week, fine, make a change, you know? Uh, we've had some problems ourselves, you know, in, in one, one of my companies and where we had some people who who are maybe a couple hour time zone differences from, from where their bosses are. And we actually had to let them go. And we actually we hired we hired them. We hired people who are actually in the same town, in the same area. So getting together once a week, you know, sitting down, meeting people, building those relationships becomes really important. So. There's going to be, you know, like I said, I think there's going to be a hybrid approach. I, I don't think no, no, no two solutions are going to be the same. And I think um, every, every company is going to find their own way to make it work for them. And for some companies, it might be full return to the office. For some, it'll be a hybrid and some it'll be, no, that's okay. Be remote or, or one day a week kind of a thing. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah. So um, talk about uh, enlightened leadership for a bit then. Perhaps you could take us through the kind of guiding principles or the, or the core pillars of, 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 yeah, of that. Absolutely. So, thank you for that. So look, because leadership has to change, and I already mentioned what enlightened leadership is, enlightened leadership, again, says, David, and I want you to be successful in the business. I work for you. I, you know, I, it's the servant leadership concept. Expand. That's the best way to look at it. So not only what can I do to help you be successful in the business is how can I help you be successful outside the business? And, I th and if you look at, for example, my company, the way we started practicing enlightened leadership, we did a couple of things. You know, number one is when the whole George Floyd situation happened in the U.S. You know, a couple of years ago. Like, you know, I knew that no matter what I decided to do, I would upset 50% of my constituency, right? Just because statistics tell you. 47% of the people supported, 47% of the people didn't support, and other people didn't have an opinion. 
And that that's just stats, right? And so, you know, my company, I would argue, would probably a little bit more on the, you know, support, you know, you know, so help to support George and his family. And so, but I, you know, I didn't want to cause a division within my ranks of my employee because that would have just set us back. So what I did, for example, was I said, look, if you don't, if you're not happy with the way things are in the country, you have to do the one thing which we, we in the U.S. and some other countries as well in democracy have the right to do, which is vote. So one of the things we did was we gave all of our employees on November 7th. So we have an election, we have a smaller off cycle election coming up in a couple of weeks. So that November 7th, every November 7th, this will be the fourth time all the employees will get the day off to go vote. So that's an example, right? Now, some people say to me, Rajiv, where do they vote by mail? Well, that's fine. I'm still going to give them the day off because I want them to go get involved in their communities. I want them to go get involved in the election process. And it doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. It's for everybody. You know, go, go do what you want to go do. I'm giving you a day. Companies paying for it. You know, I'm going to empower you to get involved with your community because I want you to feel like you have an, a say in what's happening. So that's one example. Another example is, you know, we, we changed some of our, uh, our, our holiday schedules and we gave Juneteenth off here, which is recognizing the, you know, the day of, uh, you know, the day the slaves were freed. So small little things like that. We, we donate a percentage of profits to different type of nonprofits as well now. And the team's involved with that. So over the last few years, we've donated to causes like Operation Smile. We've donated to uh, a domestic violence shelter called Rainbow Services. We've, we've created scholarships. You know, the, this past year, we funded three scholarships for students who live on the U.S.-Mexico border. They have a hard time escaping that kind of part of the world and you know, being able to go to schools in Arizona or California, well, wherever they want to go, right? We funded scholarships. So being able to give back. You know, being able to offer the flexibility of your job and remote work. So and allowing and letting you know that, hey, if you've got to go take care of your family, no problem. If you've got kids and you got to go take care of your kids, go take care of your kids. But as long as the job gets done, I don't care. And so far, that's been working for us. And, you know, we've done pretty well with that. In fact, this concept and we, that we've deployed really um, hand, really is built on five the five key pillars that you, you asked me to talk about. The first one is gratitude. The second, you know, we want to have a culture of gratitude. If, if you look at Microsoft, the Microsoft turnaround over the last few years, the, C, the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, said the number one thing that got him to turn around Microsoft was this concept of gratitude. The second being resilience. You know, COVID, COVID taught us that we have to be really resilient in what we do. And sometimes we have to make really, really tough decisions. But we, it's, it's the whole idea of fall, fall down six, get up seven. Like how, how much grit and resilience do you have in your bones? to be able to, to plow through this. So resilience is number two. Number three is empathy. Empathy is really important. Like I grew up in a time, you grew up in a time where if we were gonna go talk to our bosses, that we had to go with three solutions, right? And so, but you know what happened when COVID hit? Nobody had a solution. Who am I gonna call? I wasn't gonna call my old boss, Michael Dell. Or I wasn't gonna call, there's no Harvard case study to go read. Couldn't call you. I mean, no one had been through anything right, like this before. So what I realized at that time is, you know, we're going to be the case study that they're going to write about and how we got through COVID, number one. But number two is the other thing I realized was that, you know what, sometimes people just need to talk. Sometimes your team just needs to talk. Sometimes, you know, you're the CEO for a reason. And maybe you might have an idea or an idea, you know, an idea, or you might have a thought process that might 
helps unlock others' thought process. You know, so you want to make it so where people can come and talk to you about anything. And there, you have to make it so open to where they can come to you and say, hey, boss, I'm stuck. Do you have any experiences that might be able to help me think this through? Can we go for a little walk and talk about it and just have, and, and, and I want you to question me on, on, what, on my thought process here and help me kind of break through this mental block I'm having with this challenge we're facing? Sure, no problem. Let's go do it. Now, <clears throat> the fourth one is accountability. You still have to hold people accountable. Yeah, sure. I can be very flexible in my in our time off or in you know how you work and where you work, but the job's not getting done and you're not doing the job, you're not going to be here. As simple as that. You still have goals you have to hit, you still have KPIs we're measuring you against. I'm still going to hold you accountable. You, if you know, if you're if you want this flexibility, <clears throat> you want the gratitude, and you want to, you want someone to be empathetic to you, then we have to hold each other accountable to that success. Then finally, the fifth one is transparency. One of the things I realized during COVID was that if I was going to get my team to understand what we needed to do during COVID to survive, I had to be really open and honest with them. And so people say to me, Majiba, why? So you basically need them to trust you. Well, yeah, I do. But before I, could, before I could get them to trust me, I had to be fully transparent with them on what was happening. And so, so if you look at it, the five pillars are gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency. And you spell those, you take the first letter of all five of those words, and it spells the word great. And that's how I got the title of the book. Cool. And, and they all really, really make sense. And, uh, and I think actually from a societal point of view, there is um, a greater expectation and acceptance that some of these concepts are going to be um, available in the workplace. You know, leaders are going to be more accessible uh, and more human. I guess um, a question that prompts for people looking at this and thinking, whoa, that sounds like a big transition. Is it, is it more work for the leader or is it simply a case of working differently? No, I just, I don't think it's more work or less work. I think you just got to evolve your leadership style and just think differently. Like, like you just said, I mean, I, I don't look at leadership as work. I mean, your job as a leader is to create more leaders, right? right? The, to me, the ultimate sign of a leader is if you were to leave tomorrow, will the company still be able to grow and thrive without you? If the answer is no, you're a really shitty leader. If the answer is yes, then you're a really great leader. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And your job is to create more leaders. Yeah. Like for my team, for example, we do one-on-ones with my direct reports. I do one-on-one with my direct reports every week. You know, and and we, you know, and we we absolutely um, talk about what it is we do. We talk about how we can grow, but you know. I never try to solve their problems, right? I'm always trying to make sure that we are doing everything we can, that I'm doing everything I can to get them to think through the issue before me trying to solve their problem for them. If they're completely stuck and they can't solve the problem, I'm trying to lead them to the water, right? As opposed to saying, here's the glass. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's brilliant to hear, and I love, I love that. Yeah, because that's something that I spend a lot of time talking about. Is is great, great leaders create leaders, and 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 that is how you uh, empower people. That is how you actually build the long term future of the organization. Uh, I guess there's a bit of fear amongst some uh, some leaders, maybe more traditional leaders, that if you develop people, invest in people in this in this way, then um, potentially they're going to end up leaving you and moving on. I mean, what's your take on on that when that happens? 
Can you repeat that, please? You kind of broke up just a little bit. Okay, so yeah, so um, so it's a case of when you when you invest in people in the way that you describe, uh, you're you're developing them. Uh, and some traditional leaders may have a fear that if you if people develop too much, they might decide they want to go somewhere else and and move on. Uh, so um, is that something you've encountered? And 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 what do you think about that? No, I don't. I don't bother with it. <laughs> I mean, if if somebody is going to want to move on, I, I'm, you know what? They, they've got a better opportunity somewhere else. They have an opportunity to grow. I'm happy for them. Yeah. You know, it's you know I I I, I don't have time to dwell on. You know, all I can do is focus on what I can do best yeah. and try to make a great culture and provide a great opportunity for people. And if that if that opportunity allows them to grow and to get step up, great. I'm happy for them, you know? Cool. You know? So, yeah, it's, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, now, if it's someone, like, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Right. I've got a great company who are doing a great job. I'm not going anywhere. So if there's something on my direct reports is like, you know what? I really want Rajiv's job. Well, Rajiv's not going anywhere for a while. So you can continue to learn. And if that bothers you, and if that's a challenge, then you're welcome to go. Hmm. Um, I'll tell you one thing I don't deal with is I don't deal with ultimatums. Yeah. I, you know, my team knows it. Don't ever give me an ultimatum. If you give me an ultimatum, I won't support you. I'm happy to have a discussion with you. Yeah. Happy to talk it through, you know, but I don't want an ultimatum. And that's a really good point, actually, because um, enlightened leadership, service-based leadership, uh, sometimes, again, comes across potentially as, as quite soft, but actually it's about having open and honest conversations uh, that are just very, very real. I mean, uh, I suppose the interesting thing for me about this is um, – what what kind of business case is there for enlightened leadership? Have you been able to capture um, benefits that translate? And by a business case, that could be financial, that could be non-financial uh, benefits that you've managed to capture and track with metrics. So the best metric you can track is your attrition rate. That's probably the only real metric you can really measure here for this whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. In the last 12 months, guess how many people we have voluntarily lost, meaning people who quit on their own, not people maybe we've had to lay off or let go or fired or whatever the case may be. Somebody who voluntarily said, I resign, I quit. In the last 12 months, guess how many people? Um, I only guess one. Oh, don't one. I got it right. Awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Guess how many people in the last two years? Uh, how many people in your organization? Three people in the last two years. Okay, so three. Uh, how many? By the way, in, out of 150. Okay. And so, so we are we are in the middle. Recently, up until recently, we were in the middle of the Great Resignation. Right. Right. So you know we we, we didn't have you know so I think I think we built a pretty good culture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, and we try, and we you know we do things like recognition events. We allow for the flexibility, right? Yeah. We allow for certain things, so yeah. great. Yeah, we've had a situation where we've had um, a bit of a kind of a, um, a, 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 I guess, a spate of people who've who've found themselves reflecting on their lives and on their purpose, and uh, and then making a decision to go and try something else. Uh, so we had a bit of a flurry of that, maybe twenty twenty two, and uh, and that's kind of settled down a, a bit now. 
Uh, but we've had people wanting to come back to us because again, we've invested in culture, very similar to you, invested in culture, uh, making sure that people who are coming to work, there's a purpose of the organization. They know what the purpose is. They know what their part to play in that is. And they know there's an opportunity for them to develop in that context as well. So we've had three people asked to come back to us in the last in the last two months, which is which is you know brilliant. I mean, so what you're doing there is you're creating people with their own independent thought processes, uh, people, giving people the opportunity to reflect on on how their life fits with the objective of the organisation, and then enabling them to make a decision. Do you spend much time focusing on purpose in your business? On the boomerang effect? Yeah. Yeah, we we talk about it all the time. I mean, we we have quite a few people who have left us and come back. You know, I've had if you look at you know, you got my leadership team maybe one level below. We we've had three of our kind of like you know director level people who left us for what they thought with what they thought was grass is greener, and two of them after a month of being gone literally begged to come back, and we took them back. One took about a year. But the minute the minute he left, he was very unhappy. And you know, it's different, right? Because when you go from a culture of support, when you go from a culture of openness, when you go from a culture of this concept of great, when you go, when you go from a culture of flexibility to a bit more rigid culture, because you want more money, you realize at the end of the day, <clears throat> it wasn't worth it. Mm. Right? You realize at the end of the day. That your mental health, the time with your family, other things, those trade-offs, they're great. Now we we don't pay the most here. We don't pay the least either. You know we're we're average. You know we're never going to be the highest paid employer. We're never going to be the lowest paid employer. But we do take care of our people. Excellent. And so and so the purpose of your organization um, might be worth talking a little bit about your business and what your business does and uh, and what the mission is and and how how that aligns with. Uh, with with your people, yeah. So if you look at it, like, so we're a little bit different, right? So I'm CEO of a holding company, and within the holding company, we have five. Just we have five companies, and I'm the CEO of all five companies. And I have three business unit presidents, essentially, who run those five companies. And then through the holding company, we have a matrix service of HR, finance, IT that cuts across and supports mm -hmm. those organizations. So those so those organizations have the leadership. They have their leadership. They have sales, marketing, business development, operations, all those things to do it. The company in itself, across these businesses, is about forty percent, or so thirty-seven to forty percent events. So face-to-face -face events. Mm -hmm. The rest of it is digital marketing. We are a B two B, so business to business, marketing and media company in the technology sector. So we are, for example, right now in the middle of a tech recession. We may not be in a overall recession, but we're definitely in a tech recession because you've seen over the course of the last year, all the tech companies, except for Apple, have laid people off, right? And so when that happens, budgets get cut. So you know, we've been impacted by that as well. We haven't laid anybody off. <clears throat> so that's the one, one thing positive, at least not yet. So we'll see where it goes, but that's kind of what we do. So we'll, how, how do people engage with us? We do... Our events are education and training conferences. We have a couple of great brands who do that. Number one is a great company called TDWI. That's like Tom, David, Whiskey, India. Mm -hmm. TDWI, they're one of the largest big data and analytics training and education companies here in the U.S. 
So we do four conferences a year for them and some smaller seminars. And we do a lot of digital marketing for brands. So brands come to us and say, hey, we want to connect with buyers you know, at the different places where our products can be sold. So we help them with that. So think of it like lead gen and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then people come to get trained and we have we have a relationship with hundreds of trainers in this space who come out, we hire to come out and con- conduct the training. We then have um, a Visual Studio Live brand um, that comes out and does events in the in that Microsoft stack of product around the Visual Studio product. So focusing on developers. So think about Microsoft developers in particular. Yeah. So we do a lot of events there. Our biggest event in that space is coming up in Orlando here in November in about a little less than a month. And we're going to have about 12, 1300 people there. So that's, so that's great. Yeah. And then that company also has different brands underneath it that covers the education space. You know, that, you know, we have brands that cover the security market where cybersecurity and physical security. So we have a whole bunch of different brands. We have a brand called OHS, which does occupational health and safety. And we're putting more and more t- how to, is there what you know? So we try to cover that space, and we talked about you know how technology can help improve the lives of, of workers who are maybe at, at the oil refineries or whatever the case might be, right? So we do cover a lot of that space in that sector across various different brands, hmm. and our essentially our tagline or our ultimate mission is: your growth is our business. Our job is to help our customers grow. That's what we do, and so we, we connect, you know, buyers with sellers or sellers with buyers. That's what we do. And so we do that through various different tools. So okay, and and how do, how do how do your people in your business uh, couple into that purpose? Do they find that motivating? Yeah, because look, they do because at the end of the day, our jobs help our clients grow, our mm. customers grow, and if they're growing, they're hiring more people. They can grow. They can continue to expand. So that so that we we know we can make a difference from that perspective, right? So. Now, our goal is to become a real partner to our to our suppliers, to our vendors, right? To become, you know, to our customers. We want to be that partner for them. So, yeah, I mean, it makes a difference. You know, I mean, are we, you know, we're not curing cancer or anything like that. But in our own small way, we, we, we do make a difference in people's lives because, you know, marketers come to us. Can we, can you help us expand our product portfolio? And we can. And if we can't, then that marketer is not doing a very good job and they're failing and that could affect their job. So the better we can do our job, the better our our customers can do their job. Yeah, cool. And so you also talk about digital as being another kind of a disruptor that's that, that's hitting us. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your thoughts about what businesses can do to uh, protect themselves, but also take advantage of the opportunities that represents. Look, the biggest thing coming down the road is going to be AI. Period. And, and I'll tell you this. One thing I know for sure is people and companies that don't use AI are going to get replaced by people and companies that do use AI. Simple as that. And AI is going to be the biggest disruptor that any organization has seen since the dawn of the internet. Maybe even before that. It's coming. In fact, I just wrote a new book about it, which I don't know. I don't think they told you about, but it just came out like a week ago. So okay. there it is. Oh, wow. Cool. It's called, it's called AI Made Simple. So check it out. It's on Amazon. All right, good. That's good pitch. Excellent. Yeah. Good. So, so but, it, but it, you know, AI is going to be a, a massive disruption to the workplace. Okay. So 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 what so what's the key messages of of your your new book then? Because I did not I did I did not know about that. So that's his new no, information. No, so the, the new book was written so my mom could understand what okay. AI is. Okay. 
basically it's it's almost like an AI for dummies kind of a concept. Although I can't call it AI for dummies for obvious reasons, because those dummies, the, the dummies books are already out there and they've got the you know trademark on that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they're great guys. So but basically it's just telling people how to what it is, how to use it. And that's what it is. I mean, you know, and then I'm, I'm doing a lot of talks around AI now and, you know, a lot of podcasts around AI now and everything like that. But, you know, it, it's essentially a game changer in terms of how people should think about deploying. And AI, AI, if you use it the right way, AI can do the one thing money can't do, which is buy time, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, for example, a task that maybe would have taken six band hours, you can now do in six minutes, you know, uh, you know, Zoom is going to in the future integrate a, and I think they have it now, a, a a summary feature. So someone can watch our podcast. They can then go and say, please summarize this talk. And the AI will, will go and summarize the talk and give them, you know, roughly 40 minutes of talk and cut it into seven or eight minutes. Now they might miss some of the key messaging, but, you know, the point of it is that you have, that, you know, Spotify, for example, is looking to offer all of their podcasts into different languages using AI using generate to translate all the, you know, so in the future, you're going to be able to take this podcast and translate it to any language you want. And that just could expand your reach for the people with purpose podcast. So that's going to be huge. Yeah. So small little things like that. So AI is coming. And so you got to find ways to embrace it. Cool. Cool. And so what, what areas in, in the working, uh, in, in the environment of work today, do you think that um, AI perhaps won't get into? You know, I think AI is going to be in every aspect of the job. Now, how much it's in every aspect of the job is the question. Right. But every aspect of the job will be somewhat, you know, impacted. So, for example, Microsoft is going to be integrating in all of the ChatGPT features. You know, I think Microsoft owns 49% of OpenAI, right? The parent company of ChatGPT. Microsoft's going to be integrating in AI into PowerPoint, Excel, Word, possibly Teams, you know, possibly maybe some other their CRM product and other things. So you're going to see massive disruption just from that one thing happening, right? So you're going to have an AI assistant to help you create a PowerPoint slide or help you complete your monthly close or or whatever the case might be. Hmm. Okay. So, so it's going to be in all aspects. I mean, even on the manufacturing line, yes, AI is not going to make put put two widgets together, but robotics could put two widgets together. But AI, if you're on a shop floor and you still, you know, you still have a lot of people working on the shop floor, if anything, AI is going to be able to understand better how people are performing while on the job, take that data in, measure success, find areas of opportunity, how can they make that job more efficient? So it's going to it's going to impact i think every single aspect of the job think about medical right if you're a doctor you know if if you're a radiologist you know and you're looking at you know scans every day of different let's say you know mammograms scans every day well of those mammogram scans you can maybe look at 30 or 40 a day before your eyes get tired well ai can look at probably 4000 scans a day and not have a problem right so what what does that mean that means that they can get to the patients faster hmm. be more be more proactive with the patient. So, so it's going to impact, I think, every aspect of, of, of human life. Yeah, 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 and it's definitely something to engage with. I agree. Uh, I guess one of the one of the risks that uh, I, I hear people talking about is the potential for it to dehumanize um, work, dehumanize society to a degree. Have you had any thoughts on that? 
No, I think, if anything, I think it might unleash a whole level of creativity in humanity that we've never seen before. You know, I think, you know, a lot of people felt that way when the first internet came out, right? When e-commerce came out, oh, no one's ever going to go to the stores again. Well, this whole retail concept had to change, right? What it was, you know, so I think there are parts of retail, like the big malls are not thriving, but there are certain, but the more smaller boutique type areas are definitely thriving, right? So you have to find a new way to do business. When the mobile revolution came out, right? I think, um, uh, you know, so when, the, when the mobile revolution came out, there was a massive change in the way people did it. Oh, we're going to be, you know, no one's ever going to leave their homes or whatever. You just, on the, you know, and then, you know, and they're right. People are always on their devices looking at their phones, right? <laughs> yeah. Kids are stuck to their devices, right? Yeah. So, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some, some of that, but I also think it's going to free up a lot of time for people to do a lot of things maybe that they didn't want to do. Maybe you're somebody you always wanted to learn how to play guitar and you didn't know how to play guitar. Well, use AI to help you. Well, now you learn how to play the guitar and you can go hang out with people in your community who can, you can go jam out with, right? So it could just unleash a whole new type of, of, of uh, creativity. And it's almost like, you know, you, do you, you remember there was that concept of age of enlightenment that happened yeah. back in the 1700s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, to me I think you're going to see a new type of age of enlightenment coming here in the next 10 to 20 years where things are going to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And even if you look back to when, you know, the com internal combustion engine came in, you know, and replaced horses and all, all, of, the, all of these big, big developments, uh, and then people have thought, you know, life will never be the same again. Well, they're right, but it's not jobs being gone and then people's livelihoods being gone. It's been replaced uh, with new opportunities. And the hum human uh, species is highly adaptive, as we know. So, uh, so, so, so yeah. I mean, go on. Sorry, I, to build on that concept, right? I mean, if you, Henry Ford asked, if Henry Ford is quoted by saying, if I ask my customers what they wanted, they tell me they want faster horses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you're right. I mean, and look, I, I've heard this issue about job loss forever, right? When the first desktops came from the mainframes, people made the desktops locally on people's desks in the in the early 90s, right? The late 80s, early 90s. The internet came, oh my God, everyone's gonna lose their job, you know. The you know, the you know, the internet revolution, you know, beyond Y2K, right? You know, the mobile revolution, you know, social media revolution, you know, all these do, but you know, for every company that maybe went under. A new Uber came out, a new Airbnb came out, you know, new companies were sprouted. And right now, there are close to 10,000 startups in the world in the last 10 months, right around AI. And about 5,500 of them are in the US. Yeah. The rest are in China, India, and, and parts of Europe. So I think you're going to see that as companies potentially get challenged and some may go away, new companies are going to arise. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Exciting times ahead. Well, uh, so, um, Rajiv, we're coming to the end of our time together. So uh, uh, what parting words have you got to, to leave our audience with? Um, just on the topic that we've been discussing, and then at the end, you'll have the opportunity to let people know how they can get in touch with you if you'd like and find out more about your yeah, work. Yeah, look, I mean, here's the thing. Right? Don't be afraid of this idea of invite leadership. I mean, you know, there's a survey done by um, a major firm out here called Deloitte, they're one of the big four accounting firms and consulting firms. And they asked CEOs here in the U.S., what percentage do you believe in having a great culture? 90% said yes. And then, and then they said, well, how many of you are actually doing something about it? Only 10% said they're doing something about it. <laughs> so 
This is a huge opportunity right now. Yeah. The best way, one of the best ways for you to improve your bottom line is to do everything you can to, to reduce your attrition rates, to build a great culture, to empower people, to have that empathy, to practice a lot of respect and gratitude in the business, but at the same time, hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. So that's why those pillars really become important. And it's okay to support people outside the office. It's okay. It's okay to give money to a nonprofit. It's okay to give them time off and mental wellness days. I'll tell you, they love that stuff. The employees love that stuff. They stay with you longer. They're more committed to your organization because they feel like you care about them. So I would just tell you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of AI. Don't be afraid of any of these things. Make, make it part of your overarching strategy. Make, make having a great culture a, a part of your strategy. And if you can do those things, you'll be fine. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, great way to end. So thanks very much for coming on. How can people uh, get in touch with you and follow your work? Look, I mean, I'm, I'm on uh, you know LinkedIn probably is probably one of the best ways. There's a couple of Rajiv Kapoor, so make sure you find the Rajiv Kapoor with that's at 1105 Media or you know, it's got the books mentioned on his profile. I think my uh, my LinkedIn is at Rajiv Kapoor one. Okay, and on Instagram is the Rajiv Kapoor. I really don't do much on Twitter or X anymore. Just not a big fan of the platform, to be honest with you. Mm. But that's really so. Those are some of the best. I mean, to me, I think a lot of people connect with me on LinkedIn, and happy to happy to do that. But do me a favor if you do reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm happy. I'm glad. I'll gladly accept. But just tell me that that that, that you heard about me for, for, from the podcast, so I know where you came from. Awesome. That's brilliant. Good, good, good. Oh, and one other thing. Both, yeah, well, I think both books are available on Amazon, so check them out. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. So, so the name of the books, once again? Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. It's a long title, I know. <laughs> the, the second one is AI Made Simple, A Beginner's Guide to General and Generative Intelligence. Awesome. There you go. So brilliant. Well, thanks ever so much for coming on. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to People With Purpose. I hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey. Please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. Uh, tell all your friends. And if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye.